Well, hello there, podcast friends. What is going on? Uh, today we have a special interview uh, with cinematographer, director of photography, Nick Pilecki. Uh, I reached out to Nick uh, because I've been a big fan of his work um, for uh, for quite some time, and I wanted to uh, again get uh, more people involved with the podcast that could bring value um, from their journey, how they got started, where they are now, and also um, the the uh, a combination of the technical and the uh, creative side. Um, so you know, Nick uh, has been doing some really really great work. If you check him out on Instagram, if you check him out on um, on Vimeo and all the spots yeah, he does. Um, it's a lot of lifestyle, a lot of branding kind of stuff, um, but you can just tell that the, the quality is there. Um, the, the the level of caliber is there when it comes to very intentional um, cinematography. Um, and, and so we talk a lot, a lot of things, how we got started um, as a uh, as a optometrist and then uh, moved into, um, you know, the realm of, of, of production video production film production uh and how he got started later um in life uh, and also some some advice that he would give to uh to his younger self and also anyone else out there that's looking to get into this this realm of of uh of cinematography commercial filmmaking narrative doc all that kind of stuff um so hope you guys enjoy this episode today just because there's going to be people who may not know you or uh, maybe they they have been following you on, on on instagram or on social media things like that um but could could you uh, uh could you could you kind of uh, uh give us just a rundown of, of who you are where you're from and, and and what your uh what your role is right now as a as a dp and cinematographer yep so my name is nick palecki and i'm a cinematographer based out of canada and uh, past year or two, I've mainly just been doing like a lot of commercial work. So a lot of lifestyle commercials um, and I love it. Like I, uh, I get a lot, a lot of people like don't like shooting commercials, but like I think commercials have gotten to a point right now where they're like mini little narrative pieces, like especially the way branded content has gone. And yeah, it's totally my jam and I love every second of it. Yeah, man. Uh, how, how did you get started? Was it something where, you know, you, you, uh, like your dad used to take photos or anything like that? Or were you just inspired by movies you watched when you were a kid? No, I will. I always hear DPs on podcasts and they talk about their stories. Like, I remember the first time I saw Jurassic Park and I was like, who made this? And I'm like, I remember the first time I saw Jurassic Park and I was like, oh, that's Newman from Seinfeld right there. <laughs> Uh, but like, I was never a cinephile as a kid. My dad didn't do any imaging. Uh, I actually picked up a camera really late in life. I'm 34 now and I was 28 when I picked up my first camera. So it was like very, uh, new to me. Like I had lived a whole life before image making even entered my brain. Um, I went to school to be, uh, an eye doctor and graduated and practiced as an optometrist for two years and picked up a Canon T2i on a whim to, uh, to shoot some music videos for my band and I think I had the T2i and the the nifty 50 and like I saw the shallow depth of field and I was like I was like this is the greatest thing anyone's ever shot like this is amazing and I was sucked in and it kind of just took over my life from there and I kept buying used gear leveling up and uh with no formal training I just kind of like would look at an image in a movie commercial and be like how can I make that with no resources like what are the what are the little tricks the little things that i'm seeing on that screen that can be done at a smaller level with no time like what's the best way to reproduce this 
while moving quickly. And yeah, so started doing music videos and then hopped over to commercials and I've kind of been there ever since. Yeah. Was the choice, uh, you know, while, while you're working as an optometrist, was it, uh, you know, obviously you were, you were shooting music videos and was it like a conscious choice after a while that you decided you wanted to, to pursue this or was it sort of, you know, doing music videos on the side and while you were working as an optometrist? It was definitely a side hustle while being a doctor. <laughs> like I would just on the weekends, I would be like, people would be like, yo, I have $500 for a music video. Do you want to come out and shoot? And I'm like, you're going to pay me to like make images. I'm like, sounds like the best deal anyone's ever gotten. So yes, 100% because I was just going to do it for free anyways. <laughs> uh, so it started there. And like every single time, like you would shoot or at least I would shoot, I would be unhappy with something I did. Like if very early on, like I'm like, okay, I need an ND because I can't just keep cranking my shutter. I don't like how this looks like uh, every single time I would shoot, I would just see something I didn't like. I would Google it and I would solve that problem. So like, I firmly believe that like the best cinematographers in the world, like they don't even make the best images. They just have the biggest playbook of like, don't ever do this again because it doesn't work. Um, so yes, started as a side, side hustle, sorry. And then over time, it just got to a point where I was like, like, you know what? I think I'm going to quit being an optometrist and I'm going to try to just go for this. And my wife supported me. So like, there's not a lot of things that like wives would be like, <laughs> when she tells her friends, she's like, yeah, so he's just not going to be like a doctor anymore. And he's going to like make images with his camera. Like, I think their minds are kind of like, oh, like you married him. Good for you. Like, that's a weird call. But yeah, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I it, it's interesting to, to, to see that, that, um, that relationship, you know, um, I, I, you know, for me being, being a DP or a cinematographer or, or a camera operator, any, any of those, it, it's, it's still, it's still a, a job, you know, it's a career, but I think it's just one of those, you're going to be a what, you know, yeah. sort of, sort of things and then you have to explain it, which is different than most people where, you know, if you say you're an accountant or you're, uh, it's uh, less sick. of a finite thing. And like, even like my good friends, when I explain what I do, they're like, they'll see a commercial and they'll be like, so you made that? And I'll be like, no, there was like 20 to 30 people. Like all I did was like, I told them that the, the light should go here because it's going to like be motivated from the window. And they just look at me like, I, and they pay you for this. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And they're like, and it's difficult. I'm like, oh yeah, it's, it's like the first time every single time. Like it would be like, I have a good friend that's a mechanic and I tell him that like, imagine you had to go to a new garage every single time you had to fix a car. And he's like, well, I wouldn't know where any of my tools are. I wouldn't know like anything. I'd be like, yeah, that's what it's like being on set. It's like the first time every time. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, because unless, even even if you're shooting like on stage, which I've only done once, but even if you're shooting on, on stage, it, th things are different, you know, depending on what you're, you're building or if you're not, if you're shooting on location, then you're you're at the mercy of whatever the location is. Um, it's yeah, I think I think the general public they just don't have that understanding of. They see thirty seconds on TV or on a mobile phone, and they don't realize it's like fifty people involved. You know, I, it is pretty nuts because like I didn't, I was not film savvy until very later in my life. So yeah, I would like I. I would see a commercial and I wouldn't even think about like the resources and the people it took. I would just be like, oh yeah, that's a coffee commercial. It was probably, I assume they had a camera and they pointed it and it must be a really nice camera because it looks good. And like, I didn't know there was lights and a director and a first AD telling the cinematographer to hurry up. Like you just don't know all the working parts to like make something even at a smaller scale get made. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, when you and when you when you're first starting off, like when you're moving in, uh, say away from music videos, or maybe even during like uh, the music video um, um, phase, <clears throat> going into commercials, was it a lot of like one man band kind of stuff, or maybe sometimes you had one assistant with you? Yeah, very early on, it was like director and me, because like that's kind of how I got into commercials. Was uh, local directors saw the music video work and they're like, "Oh, you should come like film my uh, commercial for this law firm." And I'm like, "Okay, like uh, yeah, you just tell me what you're after and we'll jam together and we'll come up with something cool." So like, I always like it was always like very stylized at the start because I would be like, "Oh, we should put like a lamp back here because it'll make the room look better." even though like I had no idea that like you weren't supposed to do that on corporate videos like they were supposed to look like real things I was just like no this looks like garbage let's do something different and make it look good <laughs> and then like the clients that responded and were like oh this looks cool they were the ones that you kind of like work up with and the other ones that like didn't see the vision you just kind of like you figure out your own path pretty quickly like uh, if you have like a certain style like let's say you're like a heavy metal guitarist like no one's gonna ask you to like come do an orchestral piece with someone. It's kind of like, you know, like where you shine and your clients, directors, production companies, agencies, when they see something come across their table, that's like, oh, I, I know who would be a good fit for this. It's like, you kind of get your wheelhouse and you just keep refining that process. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And, and then I guess kind of like piggyback off of that, um, just, just with your experience and how, and how you've been working um, with uh, on the, on the agency side, is it, uh, is is a lot of it now? Um, uh, are you are you are you like hired hired on as like a roster DP or <clears throat> do agencies reach out to you and your production company or is it do you still do like direct to client stuff? Like how does that mesh together right now? Uh, I would say about thirty percent of my work is direct to client, where a lot of times like I'm bringing in directors and I have my local guys that I like on production, but like um, I like right now it's probably a healthy balance of like. 50% of my stuff comes from directors contacting me, 25% comes from agency production companies contacting me, and that's more like the freelance DP side, and about 30% is uh, like direct-to-client where I'll take on production and just kind of hire out the other roles. And for me, it's worked out well because when you get hired onto a production, you get to work with new people and you get to spread your network because really that's like where you get work is someone sees you on set, they see how you work, they see you're not like a total dickhead. And the next time someone's like, hey, do you know a DP for this like white psych thing? They're like, oh, I worked with Nick. He wasn't like a total, like a, a total jag off. So like I would give him a call, see if he's available. Uh, and then for like whenever there's like a director, because I'm just outside of Toronto, whenever there's like a director I want to work with, if I have a job for a client of mine, like I'll message them and be like, hey, do you want to grab coffee sometime or lately a Zoom call and uh, and be like, hey, there's like, you know, there's not a ton of money here, but like we're given like pretty creative carte blanche. Like, would you like to jam together on this? I can get you some money and we can make something cool. So it, it's been a good opportunity to like weasel my way into networks that like they never would have reached out to me per se, but like I can bring them in on a project with a promise of like, we can make something cool here. Yeah. Did you, <clears throat> and did you have any idea like it was going to go that route? Like when you were first starting off in, into, you know, like your, your commercial um, career about like, agencies and direct to client, or was it all just kind of like, uh, I'm, no, I'm just, I'm, 
I'm making this up. Like I'm a classic, like fake it till you make it. Like I'm, I'm making it up every day as I go along. Like half of the time, like very early on, I'd be on like a call with like agency and like, I'd be looking at everyone's role and I'd be like, there'd be five people in the conversation. And I'd be like, they would say something. And 99% of the time I would just be like, oh yeah, not a problem. And then I'm Googling the second after I'm like, what did I just agree to? Like, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta figure out how to do this. But then you get on set and you remember that like everyone's there to help each other. Like if the DP or the director hits a roadblock, like there isn't like 10 people pointing at you being like, you got to figure this out. Like you have a gaffer, you have people that are there to like help you because everybody wants to see this do well because that's how you continue the relationships. So um, yeah, I've definitely always been an advocate of like, just say yes until you get caught. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I, I've been there too and, and still am there too. You know, there, there's there are certain times where you have to, uh like you 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 if you've been working long enough you pretty much know the ins and outs unless it's something that you've never done before like you know see if you've never done uh like a car thing and you need like a pursuit car you need a and you need an arm and and you know maybe that's the first time you've ever done it for the most part you know there's going to be someone there that you can hire on to do that stuff for you you know you don't have to necessarily no know how to do everything no, you kind of just like at a certain point, like someone's paying you to present an image to direct to the director and say, like, I think this is good. This aligns with like the taste I like. What do you think of it? And they can sign off on it. Like, I'm not a steady cam op, but every time I get a steady cam op, I can communicate with that person. Like, I'm thinking this, this, and this. Like, go do it and we'll take a look. And then you're looking at the monitor and you're like, yay or nay basically like yes i like the looks of this or like you know what i don't like when we go through this hallway i think it gets a little crunchy can we put like an astera tube up here like like you might not have all the answers but you know what you're after and then you have people around you who are like okay uh it's a little dark there like we don't have the asteras today but like uh if we bounce the light off the ceiling it'll cut for like like there are there are people to help you solve the problems and i love that process about film it's like it's a very like team sport. Yeah, I know, hundred percent. You're speaking of, of like mood and and and, and cinematography. Uh, what what is your I guess your your taste or what is what are some of the images that you um, cater towards? Uh, whether that be commercial or, or music video. Um, you know, just looking at your Instagram, you you can tell that it's, it's there's a there's a there's a theme. Um, but I guess coming from your own words, uh, what are what are some of the images that really you know speak to you? Um, and then and then how do you go about uh, from your vision to putting that um, into into the lens, so to speak. Um, I definitely like like some, like moody images or something that like I feel like the word moody has just replaced the word cine like cinematic with DPs. Like if someone's like I like moody images, and it's like to me a moody image is just like anything that's a little underexposed and you're shooting into the shadow side. Like that's definitely like where I start, and then the little bits of flavor on top of that are like. I love practicals. I love color contrast. Like I'm always trying to like sneak like an odd color into there if I can. So it's a lot of like what like in the commercial world would be considered moody imagery, but like I don't even mind if it's higher key as long as there's like a distinction like between like this is the key side of your subject, this is the fill side. We can see some shape, there's some separation. I like the depth. And then I love when you can just go a wall with the background and be like, let's do a slash here. Let's like, let's throw a pink bulb in this lamp and like see if like that works for the client and like just always kind of like layering things to make things pop. 
difference. Yeah. Yeah. No, hundred percent. I'm right there with you. When you have like the, uh, the, the opportunity to do that, it just makes the image look more again, moody or cinematic. And I think those two words like you said, like you just said, are inter- interchanged a lot, you know, like <clears throat> what is moody? I don't know. You know, you look I at something, you just say, yeah, it looks good. It looks moody, you know? Yeah. If someone said like, what's the definition of moody, I would be like, it's a tough thing to like put it's exact same as like cinematic. And I like, I, I don't even like when people say like, oh, you do moody images. Cause I'm like, I don't think my images are moody. I think they just like have shape to them. Like I think shapely is a much better word or like, like focusability. Like I'm always trying to think like what in the image is going to like create the most interest and put the viewer's eyes exactly where they should be right away. Cause in a commercial, you don't have like 20 seconds at the start of a narrative to like build a character and get into their world. Like you have two to three seconds on a shot to be like, look at their eyes. What are all the tools in your handbag that like get you to look at their eyes right away? And a lot of times like lowering the exposure on the background, putting light on your subject, like shallow depth of field, like these are things that like we see them time and time again because they work. They put focus where you want it to be. And your job as a DP, or at least like when I'm there, I'm not like trying to reinvent the wheel every time. It's more like recreating the same wheel from scratch every single time and doing it over and over again to like seven sequences in a commercial. Like to me, that's the more difficult part than trying to like, you know, come up with something new every time. It's like, okay, now do it again with half as many resources and half the time. Go. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you feel like that's how you started? Uh, at least, at least when I look at my, when I first started, it was sort of like, you're just, trying everything you know and you're yeah. tossing everything at that at the frame and then after a while you kind of understand how how at least with the tools you have or maybe with certain tools that, that you're new to how they can help you um shape light whereas like you know when you're first starting it's kind of just like it's like a, it's almost like a free-for-all you know 100 percent. like when you're starting like i never even had the conscious thought of like oh this makes a good image you just be looking at the back of your onboard monitor and you would just be like this looks good uh let's roll do a take and then you get it back to your computer and you'd look at it and you'd be like oh i love this shot like i love how it looks and then like you'd break the 180 rule and you'd take the camera to the other side and you're like why does this look so bad like i had the same lens i had the same lighting i had the same camera like why does this look like why am i angry looking at this image but like if i moved like 20 degrees to the right i'm like yeah that looks great like And that's the little like micro nuances that are so tough to like explain to someone that are like, man, what lens did you use? What diffusion filter did you have on the lens? Like what camera did you use? What was your exposure at? And you're like, like I could tell you everything about the image I created, but there's probably like 20% of things that like I'm not even conscious about that I'm doing. If it's like, I'm on an easy rig a lot. So it's about like finding the vertical angle, the left and right angle, like like you can change a camera by one degree and the image just has a completely different rendition than if you like move more frontal or move more profile and like knowing when to bring in like a piece of poly because it's like getting a little too crunchy or to when to bring nag in because now we're like losing that shape on the face. Like it's all about like just looking at your monitor and being so mad at the image and knowing what to do to like make it passable. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It, are there? Uh, are there? Uh, I guess uh, the 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 question is: uh, Are you are you a bit of a are you a bit of a gearhead when it comes to like gear, or is it sort of like, you know, the gaffer comes in and whatever he he is recommending, cool, use that, or you know, lenses or, or cameras, or you know, are are you sort of now at a point where you're kind of just like it all works, or are there certain things I, that you're like, I know I got to use this. Definitely now I'm in like an it all works mentality. I would say early on like. Um, 
I think like nowadays, like with the technology and the gear being so much more accessible, every DP has a pretty good working knowledge of like, like where they're like where camera sensors shine, where they fall apart. Um, and also like, I think nowadays you need to know a little bit about like grading and knowing like what you can get away with on a day and like what you can power window down. Like, I think that's just part of the process now, but now I'm like, whatever lenses you like are in the budget, like I'll make them work. Like I'm never like, I need to have like, uh, like I need to have cooks or this thing's going to look like garbage. I'm like, if I, if you ever catch me saying I need cooks or this looks like garbage, I, like it was going to look like garbage no matter what lens you pointed at it. Like, like there's a reason why movies cost hundreds of millions of dollars. It's because of like set deck and makeup artists and like, like first, like what goes in front of the lens has to already be awesome. And then you have to light it properly and put the camera in the right place. And then the director has to, you know, tell them what to do in the right, like, like there are so many steps along the way that it can fail. But like the first step is like, make sure it looks good in front of the lens and then work backwards. So like it, if I'm on set and they're like, we have a thousand dollars for lens rentals and they send me like a location that's all white walls. I'm like, can we get $500 lenses and get a different location today? Like something with a little bit of character. Cause you're going to look at me and wonder like, why doesn't this look like as good as like your other stuff? And I'll be like, well, the location just like was working against us every step of the way. And there are definitely, I find that battle I'm rambling, but I find that battle more with agencies cause they want to see certain gear, certain roles filled like on the day, but they, they miss like the tiny things that like a lot of times I think directors and DPs are a little more savvy with, with like the, the, like, you know, if you would just let us kind of like jam for a bit, like, I know we could get what you want. Uh, but yeah, sometimes they want to see certain cameras, certain lenses. And it's like, I see budgets getting spent inappropriately on a lot of jobs. Yeah. Do you feel that that's sort of like, because agencies, uh, I, I mean, at least from my experience, it's kind of like one or two things or something that's a combination. It's, it's, you know, they're, they're used to seeing like Alexa mini from like the past, like two years yep. or maybe the post house is like, we only want to grade airy stuff or yep. red stuff, or maybe they have like, um, a really good partnership with a rental house. So they're yeah. like, you know, you, you know what I mean? Is that has been I your get, experience? I get that a lot. Like, uh, past year I've done a ton of Alexa jobs. Uh, like I own an Ursa, but at a certain point they don't want to hear about your camera. Like, like, I'll be like, well, I own an Ursa. They're like, right, well, we don't know what that is. So don't ever bring that up again, please. Like that, that really bummed us out over here. So like, we know a guy who can get an Alexa for like 800 bucks. I'm like, sure, let's do it up. Um, I just hate when the rental part, like I can see something else in production, like take a hit because of that rental. Like if you told me like, you can have two more people to help you light this scene or an Alexa, I would be like, give me the hands to like, shape the image with a $300 camera and don't strap my hands behind my back with an $800 camera. Cause like an Alexa still shines when you throw light at it. It's not this magic camera. That's like, Oh man, I thought this was going to look like crap, but since we got an Alexa, it looks good now. It's like, no, it looks great when you do all the other stuff as well. <laughs> yeah, no, a hundred percent. I mean like, uh, I, I have a, just like, just, I just popped in my head, but um, I was looking at because uh, one of the one of the first spots I saw from you was the uh, the SF the SFA ad you did or the spot you did the future of first response was was that on the Ursa or was that on Alexa? Yeah, that was Ursa. Yeah, and like if you look at it, it, it 
I don't I don't even know what the because you know people will say like oh that looks like Alexa or that looks like red but then I think now it's sort of like it just looks really looks really fucking good but you know to kind of tell like, some people would say like oh like did you shoot that on Alexa because it looks like an Alexa you know I, I think like with grading and lighting you can almost get any camera to look how you want it to look now um I just think people always ask you like what you shoot it on because they're like they're looking for that quick answer of like how do I get my stuff to look like this? Please don't tell me it's hard work and like figuring out the image. Like I just want to know like what piece of gear I got to rent to get me there. And it's like I was guilty of that early on too. Like I would look at something I'd be like, what camera and lens was this shot on? And I was just so naive to the fact that like the things that I'm falling in love with this image are like the fact that it's like this like moodier boxing piece and it's one top light and the talent skin just popped when it was sweating. But like, I was just reducing it to like, oh, so you were on like, you were on like a Sigma art lens and you were like, and I was like, what ISO were you at? And like, looking back on it now, like the DPs I was shooting messages to were probably like, honestly, man, I don't remember. I just like, like, I just know it felt good in the moment. And it's like, it kind of... It sucks because like everybody's looking for answers on like, how do I get like my stuff to look good? How do I get it to feel right? And it's like a lot of it is like time. And much like with a musical instrument, if you're a very advanced, a lot of my analogies are music because I used to play a ton of music. But like if I looked at someone who was like shredding a solo on a fretboard and they were like, how do I play like you? Like there's no one tip they can give you to make that happen. Like you need to sit down with a guitar and trial and error, figure out like how your hands can do this themselves. And it just like takes time and being like, okay, so that song I wrote, that wasn't good. That was a bad song, but maybe next time, like I'll try this and it'll be a little bit better. And it's just this gradual progression of like making garbage images to making less garbage. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think it's, it's sort of, it's sort of that, that phenomenon, you know, recently where, where it's, it's, you gotta love the process, you know, because if you don't, love the process you're not going to be motivated or, or inspired to um to, to practice you know practice your craft and and whether that be camera movement or composition or lighting or uh, trying new filtration or maybe trying something new in the gray that you've never done before you know it's, it's that love of, of always wanting i guess of kind of 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 yearning to achieve the unachievable like you know what you, i mean you hit the nail on the head there like I think that's why so many film people are so passionate about what they do. Cause if we treated this like any other job, like if we had the mentality of like, oh, this is just work, this is a factory job for me, you wouldn't make it in this, like, cause so many unaccounted hours go into like just making things that like, if this was treated as a strict job, it you wouldn't last, you, you would quit immediately. There's so many challenges in film that like, if someone was like, uh, yeah, can we hop on like a two hour call and talk about pre-production? If I was like, I'm getting paid for this though, right? Cause like, I don't do film work for free. Cause I, I really I don't really like it that much. It just kind of like, it's a job for me. Like you wouldn't make it to job number two. Like, per, like whoever was hiring you would be like, yeah. So like, we're not going to call Nick anymore. Like that was crazy. <laughs> so I think the, the only way to do it is to be like unbelievably, I mean, like we're sitting here talking about film on our free time, like like people don't do this for all their careers. Like there's a, probably not a lot of accountants out there. They're like, man, like I love accounting and I think I'm just going to sit down for an hour with someone on the other side of the uh, continent and just talk numbers with them and see how they do numbers. And I'll talk about how I do numbers <laughs> and we can talk about how we can build our numbers network. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things where film, film, 
uh, you know, film and, and, and production and, and, and everything that, that revolves around it, you know, it's, it's, it's really like, like a, a, a love for the art and love for the passion, you know, because I think like you look at some of your favorite um, cinematographers or favorite musicians, it's, it's those, you know, 30 years of playing at the local coffee shop or, or playing, you know, outside on, uh, on, on some like residential area, you know, and, and for the cinematographers, it's, it's sort of like just going down the street and doing street photography and, and taking pictures over and over and over and over again. Yeah, there is like, there is like some part of it is repetition. And I think the other part is like analyzing your work and being like honest, like, like I'm very honest when I'm like, that was not a good shot, Nick. Like you definitely should have done this differently. Uh, and then I try to look back at like when I am proud of something I've done, I'm like, no, oh, this was good. Like realistically, like this is the type of stuff I would like to recreate every time. And this is kind of the process that's needed to like set us up for the best chance at that. Uh, and a lot of times, like I just figured out early on, like location, talent and time are tend to be the things that I lean towards of like, this seems to be the things that like I like to see to maximize the image. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. To kind of get going, go into like like the nitty gritty of it, because I, I really love talking about you know process. Obviously, um, when when you're uh, just just to kind of give like a broad example, which might not be helpful, but say if you're if you're on set, you're you know everything's already been 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 boarded and you're good to go. What's the what, what's the first thing that you're looking at? Are you looking at like lighting, like the deep background, and then do you work like from the background to the key or the key to the background or like what's kind of like your process with that? I usually work uh, to like whatever I can't control to what I can control. So sometimes it's key to background, sometimes it's background to key. Like I'll look, I'll look into a space and I'll be like out of the box, what's the best angle in this room? Like what's the, like not to sound lazy, but like what's the least work we have to do to make it look good? So maybe it's a mo motivating window in the background. Maybe it's something on the location that like compositionally, I'm just like, there's great symmetry if we land the camera here. Um, and then like, what do you need to do to sell that already out of the box best case scenario? So sometimes it's like, okay, so there's a window in the background off to the left. We're going to bring in our key from the left, even though there's no window here, we're going to like try to convince the viewer that that's where the light's coming from. Cause that seems to make the most sense in my brain. Um, and then other times they're like, the key is kind of set for you. And then you're looking at the background and you're like, okay, so Face looks great, love the way talent looks, background's too hot. So let's throw in a stop, two stops of ND, uh, bring the background down, and then let's work on the key to like bring it up to a passable level where it doesn't look saucy or lit. So I guess my process would be very much like, not even natural, but like what's the most believable in people's mind in a commercial world on like, like what just sits the most right without making me feel like I can tell there's a lamp there. That's always my goal is like, cause things can be stylized and look like, I think naturalistic is a wrong word in commercials. Cause I see commercials all the time where I'm like, well, that's not natural, but it looks great. Like, and that's like, that's your job is to make things look great, pop, bring focus in, sell a product, sell a message. Um, so I'm just always looking at the process of like, what's gonna be the best way to sell this image? and like not make it sit weird with a viewer. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And then as far as like when when you're uh, when you're judging exposure, do you have certain tools that, that you use all the time? Like, do you just look at the monitor and then with, with the conversion light or are you a false yeah. color guy? Or I'm definitely like, when I roll up to a new scene, uh, I check everything with false color at the start. 
and then I'll probably just rock off the monitor for the rest of like I'll see like what it looks like and usually your wide you're starting with just because the least you can control I'll see what it looks like in the wide and then as you're moving around for coverage it's a lot of like you know having a PA or a best boy there with like uh like a floppy or a bounce board and you're like you're like trying to match that feel that you got from the wide soften things up like um but false color is like i'll check that right when i get there and i'll be like okay so like i'm gonna stamp this in my brain of this is where the levels are sitting now let's you know while still making it look good let's try to match this as we go through the scene and i'll just kind of be looking at the monitor and like having that yay or nay feeling in my stomach as we're going through yeah no i mean that's pretty much pretty much what i do i kind of kind of you know, kind of geeking out here but uh as i know with um because i've used the ursa before on a dock and i and i've used the alexa mini before uh and and the other monitors too do you do when you're using false color do you typically use like the the built-in one from whatever camera you're using or do you have like a like a small hd you always use without false color i have i have a small hd that i always bring like independent of cameras like i really have gotten used to the way the small hd false color lands so like i hate using a new monitor and i don't know their color coding like i just know like okay the key is sitting like bright teal or green and the shadows are cutting down to like dark blue purple i like that ratio um and then like i have my own alexa mini and my own ursa mini lut because i find like as most people do the factory luts are just so crunchy and like i i just find like it's so it's there's more room for error in judging exposure like because that LUT like if you're a little under it'll push it under if it's a little over it'll push it like to way overexposed so I'm usually checking the false color off, off my own softer version of the LUT or I'll flip over to like complete log mode and be like okay like we're landing pretty in the middle like we have a nice plate for the grade skin is landing here nothing's like clipping on us so this is a good place because like the codecs are so good now like like you can do so like I've seen stuff like that was like a stop and a half over get pulled down to like the moodiest image you could imagine. And you're like, you're like, yeah, you can just like bring it down four stops and it looks great. So um, I think as long as you're giving like post enough to work with, um, you can do pretty much anything you want. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that was that was my experience because I used I used the Ursa uh, two years ago on, on like I was seeing on, on a dock we did and it was for like about six or seven months and I mean there was just so much so we were using the Ursa Mini Pro and as, as well as uh, Canon C100 Mark IIs uh, for low light stuff because it was a football dock um, but I mean the Ursa just has so much latitude like it was just crazy like yeah. I, I had never used a camera before that and then just putting stuff in Resolve and just playing around with it I was like oh my god dude there's a lot of latitude in this camera. Yeah, no, I definitely think I've gotten by uh, a lot with grading things in post <laughs> and like like that camera, like I there is something to be said about like a camera with a lot of dynamic range. But like, I think even more so importantly, when people are like, well, what camera should I buy? Because I get that question a lot. I'm like, I don't know what you shoot. I don't know your workflow. Like, I don't know. Like, do you do a lot of gimbal stuff? Do you like rock on sticks a lot? Like, what's your like every camera is so different. Like if someone was like, so the Ursa is like a really good camera. I'd be like, yeah, it's great. If you do the following things, like, do you always light your scenes? Like you never back yourself in a corner. Like, well, no, sometimes like I need ISO 3200 and higher. Cause like, you're just like, you're in a locker room on a football dock and you have no time to light it. And you're like, well, you know, that's where you might want like a Sony or something like a Gemini, something that's a little more ISO friendly. And they're like, and then you're always shooting raw. And I'd be like, no, I'm not always shooting raw. Like if I'm shooting a 30 second ad where I know that like 
this is our coverage. I'll shoot raw. Otherwise, ProRes is fine. Like, it's ending up on Instagram, guys. Like, you'll be okay. So uh, it's, I, I think sometimes people get so caught up in the moment of like, well, I got to have this camera because I saw this image and it was made with this camera. And it's like, look at the work you're doing. Like, I don't do a lot of gimbal stuff because they've crapped out on me and I just, I've lost faith in gimbals. But uh, if I did more gimbal stuff, I wouldn't buy the Ursa. Ergonomically, weird body shape, sucks to balance, wouldn't do it. I would buy something more like a Gemini. It's very like, it's cube shaped. You can like, it's very modular. You can strip it down to basically nothing and still make it work. Um, but I do a lot of handheld and dolly, so... Um, like a bigger camera body, I find only helps me in like getting, like smoothing out the handheld with more inertia. Like I like a heavy camera for dolly stuff cause it just sits better. So like when someone's like, would you shoot on like an older Alexa? I'd be like, yeah, that's fine. They're like, it weighs 11 pounds. I'd be like, not an issue. I got an easy rig. It's heavy. I know. But like my shooting style, like I'm more freaked out when someone's like, oh, we're going to shoot on this tiny camera. And I'm like, oof. Uh, all right, do we have some like weights we can put at the bottom of this? Because I just like, I like to feel a certain amount of weight when I'm opping. Yeah, was that, was, I, I kind of, what you just uh, were explaining with the weight of the camera and also uh, the, uh, perhaps in, in a certain way, the ergonomics, was that one of the reasons where you, uh, originally why you purchased the Ursa for, for the stuff that you were doing and the stuff that you're doing now? I originally purchased the Ursa like four years ago just because like it was probably cost effective the most like it was the lowest entry into like the image quality that I saw that I was like yeah that's like kind of where I want to start and then I would say like that camera uh, further taught me like oh like this is like what I like in handheld but it's a real like it's a real chicken before the egg situation because I'm like, I'm sure if I had bought red at the time, I'd be sitting here talking to you about like, oh, red's the best, cannot go wrong. Like I just happen to own the Ursa. So like I've gotten used to the quirks of that camera and I, it's just what I know. So when someone's like, like, oh, I really like this camera, I'd be like, that's great. Like you should like, there is value in getting familiar with gear. Like, cause if you know gear inside and out, you know where it shines and where it falls apart. And that's information you can pass on to production and the director. Uh, so like, I never, like, I, I think owner operators like take a little bit of, uh, like uh, people are always like, oh, you shouldn't own gear. And I'm like, why? Like, if you own the gear, you can learn everything about it and be more of an asset. Like, sure. It costs money and you might not always be able to rent it out, but like, you're also going to be able to shoot things that like, you never would have been able to rent a decent camera for. And you're going to get like, uh, like the budget for that SFA, like the firefighting one. It was not high. Like all the stuff in my portfolio, it's never the best budgeted stuff. Like I never would have gotten a decent camera for that job. But like I was given the opportunity to film firefighters, which if you want to hack to make your stuff look better, film firefighters. They look cool. It's like sports. They look better out of the box. Like running down a football field with a guy, like it just looks cool. It looks cooler than someone typing in an office building. Even with the same lens, same camera, like people are gonna be like, man, how'd you get this image? And you're like, film a football player, it'll look better. <laughs> yeah, I've been there too. I mean, you know, <laughs> with, with shooting, shooting that football doc, I mean, there there, there was quite a, a bit of that we, that at least I was able to pull from just because like, you know, whether that be magic hour or blue hour or just, you know, the the rush of, you know, the, the, the running back on the sideline, the guy gets tackled is just like, you couldn't have scripted it. You couldn't have scripted it. It just happened. And you were just right at the right place, the right time, um, you know. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think that's sort of why a lot of people, they, 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 they can get really uh, caught up in the gear. They can get caught up in 
what what camera should I buy or like you know should I wait for this camera or should I wait for that camera um and I think you kind of nailed it on uh, the the nail on the head is sort of like it depends on what on what you do and also your style yeah 100 percent uh no like and like for the the gear that is a little more expensive like if you're ever thinking about purchasing it rent it because you're gonna find out like rent it for a weekend here's a hack to call your rental house on like three o'clock on a friday and see what they have sitting there because they're gonna let it go like a little bit cheaper on a friday afternoon because they're like well if we don't rent it out now it's just gonna sit on the shelf all the weekend and then go out with a buddy and film like something in different scenarios, like film at golden hour, but also film at high noon. Cause that's a realistic scenario that you get put. Like, I hate when I see camera tests and the whole thing's done at golden hour. Cause I'm like, I don't know what this camera looks like. You just, you put it in the best. Con- it's like, it's like telling me like, Oh, what does this microphone sound like? And you have Pavarotti singing to it for an hour. I'm like, well, you got, you got the best voice on planet earth singing into it. Like, I want to know what this looks like in an office building at high noon with someone without makeup on. Show me what the camera looks like there, and then I'll see if it fits my workflow. <laughs> yeah, no, hundred percent. Yeah, uh, the, the camera tests and, and and lens and lens tests. Like, there's, I, I think there's 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 the technical ones that you gotta know, and I think uh, you know from like a maybe from like a um, a higher level um, perspective, certain productions just need to know how the lenses work and stuff like that, so they can sell it to agency or whatever. But there's also the the, the realistic where you know i don't shoot a lot of stage stuff at all right so it's a lot of like location stuff so yeah. i need to know how this sensor is going to react in a real world environment and not like in the best lighting conditions you know no, and also like if you're if you're like looking up cameras on youtube like look at all the work that that person's done if everything looks good independent of what camera they're on you probably like what that person's doing more than like the individual camera that you might be like like looking at in that like if i'm looking up a camera and i go to their youtube page and i'm like everything they look or everything they shoot looks great i'm like i think i like this person more than any individual camera <laughs> yeah no totally agree totally agree you know I, yeah i think youtube youtube is another discussion all, all on its own <laughs> I'll, I'll say that much uh, i mean I, I i create content for youtube just because it's fun um, and it's brought people value, you know, where I think one of the things why, why I wanted to start my YouTube channel, just on a side note, was, you know, I wanted to be able to kind of bridge that gap between uh, owner operators and people who were looking into making making cinematography their career. Maybe they're just doing, you know, small mom and pop direct to client kind of stuff. But eventually I want to do um, higher budget things with agencies or, or just bigger brands um, versus what most of YouTube is, it's a lot of just uh, the new camera out, the new lens out, the new gimbal out, and then they just go around town and they just, you know, film in random trees or whatever, you know. And not to say there's anything wrong with that, but it, it's it's not. It, a- it is it is funny like seeing like this brand new like you'll see like an Alexa Mini LF and you're like they're filming they're filming leaves at their back yeah okay that's uh this tells me everything i need to know i'm a big foliage cinematographer so like this is a good test for me <laughs> yeah yeah i mean unless you're unless you're you know working for nat geo then maybe that that works for you you know but not all of us are working at <laughs> shooting landscape all the time um but what's, uh, funny, what's funny with like agencies and production companies though is like i find they don't want to see the newest gear ever like new gear definitely scares them. Like they like, there's a reason why like the mini and the mini LF are pushed on so many productions. It's cause like they've seen it so many times. They know what they're going to get. Like agencies definitely don't like taking risks. 
like even when you see a cool commercial it like they mitigated as many risks as possible <laughs> when doing that cool commercial like most of the time you're shooting a commercial it it's a like it's a version of something you've already done like i get contacted all the time for like we love this thing on your portfolio we want to do that but have our logo at the end and you're like like that's how you get work cuz agencies want to see that you can do something before you've even ever done it. So if you do a lot of studio stuff, you're going to get calls for more studio stuff because they're like, okay, you know how to like work in a studio environment. You know how to make a white psych look clean and good. And that's what we need for this set of ads. And if you shoot a ton of sports stuff, like they're going to want you to follow the football player again and jam with them and like really get down in the dirt with them. Cause they're like, we want that energy. We see that on your portfolio. Like uh, it, it kind of sucks that like, if you haven't shot car stuff, like you're probably not gonna get called to shoot car stuff because a lot of money in car commercials, they wanna know how, that you can like communicate with a team to run a Russian arm and like like what time, it, like how does a car look best when it's lit? Like where, like what should we be looking out for? And if you haven't done that before, people aren't gonna take a risk on you because there's too much money on the line. <laughs> Yeah. And so would you say that, you know, spec, spec work is still very relevant in, in yeah, the world 100%, that we're in? 100%. Like if there's something that you're looking to do, if you're like, I love sports, I love car, I love fashion, I just don't have anything on my portfolio that shows I can do it. It's like, well, if you if no one can see that you've done it, no one's going to pay you to do it. Like you kind of have to like make your own thing to prove you can do it. And then you have leverage once, you know, someone contacts you, they're like, Hey, have you ever filmed like a perfume spot? And you could be like, actually, yeah, I've filmed like uh, like a face. I don't know makeup at all, but like something Me in neither. that space, <laughs> <laughs> something in that space. And then like, they can see like, Oh yeah, I like what you did there. And then like, that's your like jumping off point to get started in the conversation on that job. And it's like, it's like, that's why you see cinematographers, like their work consistently, like, it looks similar and like you're doing similar type of ads because like you just fall into this space where you get contacted for the same thing over and over again if you do that thing very well. So like I do a ton of lifestyle commercials. Like if you've got a brand that needs a couple people doing something lifestyle-y and your logo needs to come up at the end, yeah, I'll film a mom and their kid and we'll go like, like that's my jam. But like I don't get contacted for car stuff. I don't have any car stuff out there. So I'm not going to get a call from Ford being like, hey, Nick, we really like that coffee shop that you did. And we're just wondering what you think of the new F-150 because uh, we're thinking of just like doing a shot of that. And I'll be like, well, yeah, let's give it a shot. It's, I don't know, it's unfortunate, but like that's where spec ads can like bridge the gap, I guess. Yeah. Is there anything that you're looking to shoot uh, in the near future that you don't have currently on your, on your portfolio that you're like, I really want to, you know, venture into this? Uh, probably like last year I did like more of a passion project, like doc slash narrative thing. And I had a lot of fun doing that. So I would love to do more, I guess, doc narrative stuff, like where it's still like at the heart of it, it's documentary. You're finding the story on the way. It's a real story, but like, I think docs have gotten so good now where they're like through, whether it's through reenactments, like just cutaway B roll, like they've just gotten so good at implementing archival footage with like newly made cinematic footage. And I'm just like, I love the way that like, like you can present like real world stories in such a new, almost movie like way. So like, I would love to do like more narrative slash doc work, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, you know, one of the, one of the best, because I do a lot of doc stuff, a lot of branded doc stuff. 
it's 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 both good and bad you know because sometimes with that the branded dock realm a lot of times they they really want it to look like what it looks like you know and sometimes you're just like mm. It's like, we I just, don't know if you know this, we, but it, it doesn't look good. Like, <laughs> exactly. It's, it's some, sometimes you win those battles where it's like, okay, cool. Like, you know, we, I can get a gaffer and, and like a key grip just to put yeah. up something outside the windows, you know, or maybe some 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 tubes, you know, something just to kind of augment what's already happening. But, um, but uh, have you ever watched? Uh, it, I think it came out like two or three years ago. But there was this documentary called Make. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that, but seen that before. I haven't seen that. Yeah, it was actually produced by uh, Music Bed. You know, they make they may have like um, a license for music, but uh, they they were following around a lot of different creatives, like musicians, artists, and uh, cinematographers. Like they followed um, uh, cinematographers and directors, like Reed, like Reed Morano, um, Solomon Lighthelm, and all these people. Uh, but you, you should you should definitely go check it out because it was it it's it's basically a documentary about how um uh so many creatives like the 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 dream they had like they're still even though they're asc or you know you're someone like solomon lighthelm you're just doing nike commercials they're still like chasing the dream it's not like they've they've gotten there yet you know i don't know if you ever do get that sense of like made it in the film industry like because i look at ryan booth and i'm like that like that's the version of the thing i want to do and if you talk to ryan booth he's probably just looking at like i don't know like uh, uh, like someone who directs only feature films and he's like no like that's making it like that's what I want to do and then you talk to someone like Deacons and he's like no 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 like this cinematographer from 30 years ago like that's where I want to be like I think you're always chasing this thing that you're like even if someone tells you you're the best in the world you're just like nah my stuff's garbage this is the guy you should be checking out though because like that's the dream right there yeah yeah because Ryan Booth was I, I mean I'm pretty sure they had they had two operators but he was he was like the DP for for that for that doc you know and I've been I've been following Ryan Booth stuff for a while too, um, and it's been a big inspiration for me with, especially in the doc realm. You know, um, uh, what was that? There was there was there was one he came out with like three or four years ago um, about his friend that had like uh, I think it was um, some kind of some kind of cancer, but it's honestly just just so emotional the way he captured it. You know, and regardless if he was, I mean, he was probably shooting on an on a mirror or whatever. You know, but regardless, it was just like he knows what looks good and he knows how to tell a story with his he, eyes. He's the type of guy that like you give him any camera and like, he's going to get you something good. Like I've seen stuff where he just like sets a camera up on like the street and films two people. I saw the one shot he did of like two people playing chess on the street. And I was like, this looks like the opening to a movie. Like, like that's his eye that you're falling in love with. That's not like it could have been on an iPhone. I don't know. I don't think it was, but like, he can just like find these little human moments that are like, yeah, that's like, that's humanity right there in that frame. And you can't teach that to anybody. That's like, it's like hearing Jimi Hendrix play the guitar. You're like, yeah, that that's that guy coming through the amp right now. That's like, there's nothing that you can teach that person. Yeah. Do, do you feel like you, you sort of bring some of that humanity or some of that, uh, maybe not real realism, but I guess just the way you see the world, do you bring a lot of that or some of it into into the commercial space when, you know, say you're, I mean, obviously there's composition and, and there's the lighting part of it, but, you know, if you're shooting like an, like an over the shoulder, if you're shooting, you know, reverses on, on, on two talent, is there, does, does your kind of like natural eye come into play um, yeah. in a way? hundred percent. I think every DP's natural eye 
comes in because like the only way to keep progressing through commercials i think is to like get quicker and quicker and like the way that works is like you trust your instincts and you're like you trust that like where you land the camera like when it feels right like you start rolling so if you're trying to like fight your natural instincts i, I just don't think you're gonna make it in the commercial world because like things move at a pretty quick pace same with narrative like i like I don't know what my perspective on the world is, but I know that it's definitely coming through in the images. Cause like, um, yeah, I think every person, like that's what a DP is essentially. Cause like we, you can give two people the same camera, same lens setup, same lights. And then you look at their final frames and like, they look completely different. And it's like, that's that person like coming through and like showing you how they see the world a little bit. Like it, it might not be so like pronounced or like sometimes a little more nuanced depending on the commercial, but like at a certain point, like, yeah, that's how you see the world and the camera is like, I think an extension of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, kind of, kind of continue, continue on from, from, from the previous note, uh, on like cameras and technology, is there anything, uh, coming up, uh, in the next year that you're looking at, at, uh, adding to your, to your kit, to your arsenal that you're like, you know what, that actually looks really cool to have because it would, it would add value to being more efficient on set or maybe something, just a new light, um, or anything like that. Uh, always lights. I'm very curious about, like, I'm obviously a big led guy. Cause like running off house power is like, I like whenever I have to work with generators, not my world. So like, I always have a gaffer or electrician running that. Um, so this, like the aperture 600 D is something I'm very curious about. Cause I think that that's like, I think that that's where we're starting to reach the threshold of like something that's closer to like a 1.2 K HMI, which is like, you can start doing a lot of damage with that, especially for like, uh, over the next year. I don't know if you knew this, but a lot of commercials are single person talent commercials now. <laughs> so you can get away with smaller lights. So kind of a blessing and a curse, like, or at least that's what I found here in Canada. Like companies don't like, if you're filming a commercial, they're like, well, we don't want anybody to get sick. So they have to be in a bubble or it's one person selling whatever you want to do on scene. Some good things about that from a cinematographer's perspective, it's a lot easier to light one person and make it more believable. Like, I don't know, I assume people are talking about this, but like, like you don't have to worry as much about like the fall off from person one to person two if there's only one person in the scene. Like you can make it more believable with smaller fixtures and with smaller fixtures, you need less people on set with less people on set. You can move quicker when you can move quicker. You can find new ideas and you can like reinvent, not reinvent, but like you can find new ways, new angles, new coverage. You can try more things with the talent. The director can like, like take a swing for maybe they get two extra takes and they're like, I want you to try one like this. So I think we're going to see a lot of like interesting things come out of like being like having being placed in this box just because like we're going to be a little more nimble and we can try new things yeah i think that's that's pretty much where, where, I, where i've been i've been having that constant battle at least you know well this year a little bit less but you know in previous years it's sort of like you know i wish i had something like a uh assumed to be a 600d or, or even like a 300d in that that, that footprint right that yeah. can be equal to like um a 4k or a 6k you know i mean maybe It'll get there yeah like i don't know timeline but like the fact that you can run like a 300d off a couple of v mounts is like bonkers to me like what like like in all honesty that's a very powerful light for led like if you talk to like older gaffers they're like that thing doesn't have the output and you're like from my perspective it has the output and the fact that you can run it off batteries 
is like insane because like then the setup turns into like you have three minutes to light this you look at your buddy and you're like okay we're gonna run out there with a c-stand two batteries and just put the light through the window and it's gonna look pretty good it's gonna look better than no lights and you can do that in under five minutes like that's a huge like advantage to you to be able to get a good looking image quick like if someone says like like we have five minutes like you can't get an m18 up in five minutes the thing takes 10 minutes just to heat up and then if you pick the wrong angle they're like oh we gotta like kill it and then strike it again and that's a 20 minute process and you're just sitting there like so we're we're just not gonna light this one and they're like no i guess not since we only have five minutes so like there are huge pros and cons to like like both HMIs versus LED. And as LED gets better, like I'm very excited to see like how bright we can go with these things. Yeah, I've seen I've seen a lot from this year from uh, Nanlite with their, their Forza. I forgot what number it is or uh, 500 or whatever it is, but I've seen some some results from it from other people who are using it. I'm like, holy crap, that actually has a lot yeah, of output I, and they're running I've it off of that, house power. I know I've used that like, like I've had like four of them running off house power and it's like, they're bright. Like they're like, you can do like quite a bit with these like relatively inexpensive compared to the like in Canada if you're renting like an M18 like it's 300 bucks a day like to rent that lamp and you can get a Forza for like 2200 bucks Canadian I think so like you buy this light and it's like after seven shoots like it's the same as if you would have rented the big boy lights like for half a dozen shoots and you own that light. So now on productions where like we don't have a lighting budget, you can be like, well, I own this light that's like pretty good. You can double diffuse it and still get good output from it. So now it's back to that spec thing where it's like I can create great stuff cheap so that if someone ever comes to me and they're like, they're like, what's your day rate? Okay, that's cool. And you can recreate this thing that we saw in your portfolio. We assume that was like 20 to 50K and you just shake your head. You're like, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's how much that that's how much that oh, I got paid for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 100%, 100%. Yeah, I, I, you know, the 600D, when they were, when they announced it, I was like, that, that's that's the light. I was like, that's the light that I want, you know? So I've used, um, I, I own a 120D, um, but usually I'm rocking, you know, I'm renting 300Ds, 300D, or the Mark IIs at least, which are really nice. Um, and I Mark like- are, I will say the Mark IIs are nicer. They cut it, like I own an original, and every time I see a Mark II on set, I'm like, they cut out one of the power supplies or they put them both into one. I'm like, that's really handy because the original, it it definitely sucks having to set up that extra little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. That's very true. Yeah. And, and it, the, the, the one thing I, the, another thing I like about the Aperture Lights, it, it's, you know, with their whole, the whole wireless remote and the new Citus link, it's like their whole network of lights. It just, it just, it's just so, it's just so easy. You know, to have control over a knife, an iPhone, you can just dial in everything. That and like, they've done a very good job at marketing like the A-team and like working their way, like even agencies are like pretty savvy to aperture lights now, or at least the ones that I'm working for. If they're like, if I'm like, I have a 300D, they're not like, what light do you have that you want to bring up? Like, they know what that is. And that's a big step from like my perspective, because like it, it I have found that they do not like hearing about new technology. So the fact that they know that light means that like Aperture is doing something right to get their name out there and make them more of like an agency production director known brand because that does hold value it, it in this space. Like they just love familiarity knowing that like they have a product they've heard of before. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, man. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to also ask, is, I mean, I have like a bunch of fucking questions, but uh, <laughs> I, know, I noticed in a lot of the spots you've been doing, uh, 
this year and last year, um, you've been using um, a little a, a good bit of, of anamorphic. Um, yep. Is that something that that you kind of gradually or that you gradually wanted to to shoot and it's kind of become like a staple mark for you? Yeah, I think very early on, like, I would say two weeks after shooting, I figured out that if you put like the black bars on your spherical footage, I'm like, I don't know why, but I like, uh, I didn't know what aspect ratios were when I started, but I'm like, I like how this feels like it feels like a movie. And of course, that's like the cheapest hack to get there. And then just gradually over time, you're like, you know, early on, you convince yourself, you're like, oh, yeah, the two, three, five cinematic bars, like, that's good enough. That looks like that looks like anamorphic footage to me. And then you'll like, you'll like, keep looking at footage and you'll be like, ah, but the bokeh, like, that does look different. Like, the, like, how it pulls on the side of the frames. And like, so eventually, like, uh, I rent, like, pretty much all my anamorphic glass now, but uh, I definitely made, like, one of those DIY projector setups. And uh, it honestly looks great. It looks as good as most anamorphic. Like, it looks as good as the Atlas lenses. I know Atlas doesn't want to hear that, but, like, optically, like, it's the same principle. Um, It's just, like, it's very tough to bring those setups onto a proper shoot because they're looking at this, like, three-lens thing that, like, I've gaff-taped together. And, like, uh, commercials are a lot of assurances and a lot of, like, we want to know what we're getting. And when they see this lens come out, they just look at it like, what? is that dumpster fire attached to the front of your camera. (laughs) And then I'm like, well, it looks really great. They're like, we don't care about that at all. Like, let's go rent some proper lenses. But if it's a smaller uh, budget thing, they don't really care what your camera is. They don't care what your lens is. They just want to like be looking at the wireless feed and they're like, this looks great. And they don't really care how you got there. So like, I kind of tend to play in both those worlds. One world where it's like, these are the big boy toys and this is what we expect and this is how it's going to look and these are the rules you have to play by. Here are the boards, shoot them. And that's fun, but it also comes with a lot of creative restraints. And then there's the other world where you're like, we don't care, like, we just want you to do you, make it look good. Like, we don't care if you like hold a, a hold an old tungsten bulb through a piece of paper towel to diffuse it. Like, they, they're not even t- savvy to any of the terms. Like, they just want to look at the monitor and be like, yeah, our company looks cool. And, like, that's where that lens shines because it's, you know, it's a no-cost way to get something that looks great. And I think that, like, playing in both worlds keeps you sharp for, like, you know, working with agency, working with production, and the other one keeps you like creatively fulfilled because you're trying new things that you would never be afforded to on a larger budget. Yeah, are there are there a set of lenses that you that you currently own that you that you use on those smaller uh, on those smaller budget scales? Or, or speaking of the anamorphics too, are, are you looking at um, producing like a set of Alice Orions or something like that? To, or does it make sense for you to own something like that? Um, it might make sense to like. Atlas lenses, like you definitely rent them out in Canada. They're about like 600 bucks a day for a set. So right now I'm still like renting them as need be. Cause like, uh, it's probably the most cost effective way to get a good anamorphic image. And you know, it's housed really nicely. It looks very professional client agency. They definitely feel taken care of with those lenses. I don't know if I'd ever purchase them just cause like making your money back on like what it would be like a thirty to forty thousand dollar purchase, probably less likely to purchase. But I love renting them. Um, I think if I was going to make a bigger purchase over the next year, it'd probably be moving towards buying an Alexa. 
but that's not because like I need an Alexa. It's just like I see how many times it gets rented, and I'm like, it would be definitely more of a business move and a like, like I just see so much money get sent to like eight hundred dollars, thousand times every time to a rental house, and I'm like, if I owned this camera, if it rents out for like a dozen times in the year, like that's twelve grand off the ticket price even on a resale. So uh, I think depending on the market you're at like that's where you kind of have to ask yourself like does it is it worth it to own or worth it to rent yeah yeah and, and then and then just are, are there a set of lenses that you currently own that you that you use for like the smaller budget stuff or do you just uh, use whatever for, you got for spherical uh i have a set of like zeiss cp2s that i love um or i'm gonna be honest like the sigma art stuff like i love having zoom lenses you work quick i think you get better coverage with those lenses and they look great for as many people that like they call those lenses stale, I'm like, I shoot it on a ton and they look great. I don't know what to tell you. Like, like they're fantastic. And having that zoom range to quickly get coverage, like, cause at the end of the day, like I think a lot of people see a final product and if the edit's great, the coverage is great. The acting is great. The sound design great. Like everything's great. People are going to assume your images are better than they are. Like I would much rather have a commercial where I feel like I didn't bring my best work, but the final product, I'm like, yeah, like the editor crushed it on this one. Then something where I'm happy with the images, but I see the edit and I'm like, oh, it, it definitely feels weird. Like, I don't like this edit. Like, I think people bring in a lot of their opinions on my images because like the sound design person <laughs> did such a good job on like the firefighting stuff. Like, uh, like, uh, like the sound designer did such a great job that I'm like, you made me look better. Thank you. But I've seen the reverse before where like, I'm super happy with my images and I get the edit back and I'm like, this edit is not what I thought it was going to be. And I like, I feel a little bit bummed out. So, uh, no, uh, where'd we get to from this? Uh, no. So the Sigma art lenses, I find like give like the best option for like quick zoom ranges. You get your best coverage and you're giving the people who do post the most flexibility to like make a final better end product, which perceptibly will help you out in your career. Cause you'll have more projects under your belt that you're like, this one turned out good. And this one turned out good. Cause like you never want to be known as the DP that's like, oh yeah, he's good for like a couple of stills every project, but you have no final pieces that like sit well. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I, mean, I used to own the eighteen and thirty five, and I think if, if there is one lens that if you really need it to work um, quick, but also you can trust that you're getting the coverage and also the 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 quality, you know, it's a really fantastic lens. I mean, right now I have a I have a thirty five art that I've, that I've had for like, I don't know, five years, you know, and yeah. just like, there's no, it's, it's a great lens. You know, if you have like the, and even if you didn't want to use a zoom, you probably get a 24 or 50 and 80 or I think they have an 85, but I mean, the Sigma art art series, it, it's, it's great. And especially yeah. depending on what budget you're at, it's very clean. And then if you want to, um, if you want to spruce it up a little bit, you have the option of adding fil filtration, you know? Yep. And I usually throw filtration on those lenses to take a little bit of the sharpness sting off. But uh, no, I think they're super reliable. Like I've never had a client or agency like poo-poo those lenses. They're always like, nope, looks great. And I'm like, yeah, that's what those lenses are for. Or like even like uh, the Leica R stuff I find is like always a fan favorite in the commercials I do because it has like a warmer, creamy look. They're just like, I don't know. But like... If you give me any lens, I'm sure that like I can find the charm. Like you can find the charm in vintage glass. You can find the charm in new glass. Like there's always a reason to love a lens, whether it's like 
it's super sharp, fast and wide open, or like, you know, it does this weird thing with the flaring. Like, I think there's something great with every single lens, every single camera. You just got to find where it shines. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking, uh, I guess, you know, uh, briefly on, on filtration, is there, is there uh, a certain filtration that you go towards or do you kind of just, you know, whatever's the flavor of the day you want to use <laughs> pro mist or glimmer glass or Hollywood um, black magic, you know, whatever, whatever you got. Uh, Hollywood black magic is definitely my go-to. Like if a director is asking, like, like I'm thinking about like, cause I'm a big fan of like filtration where you don't like, it's not as in your face most of the time. Depends on the spot. But like usually like I like filtration where like I'm the only one that knows I'm using it. Uh, whereas a pro mist, I find that like once you hit a quarter, like the audience, it now knows you're using filtration. Like you can just tell from the halation around lights and that's a great look. It's just not like a look you want on every spot you're doing. Whereas a Hollywood black magic, I find like smooths out skin tones. It definitely softens up the images without that like blooming effect on the lights as like that first telltale sign. Um, glimmer glass is great too. Like I, I like diffusion filters. Like there's always a novelty aspect where you see it without the filter and then you put the filter in and like always I'm like, I'm like, yeah, it's better with the filter. Like always, always, always. So like, or it, it, but it might be just my brain convincing me that newer is better, but inevitably like I do end up going with filtration. Yeah, I know me too. I own, I own, a, I, own I own a set of uh, glimmer glass just because I, I just, I've used everything else from black satin, all the tip and stuff. Um, the Hollywood black magic, I think I've used, I've used an eighth before and I like it a lot. Glimmer glass is just something that I, I, I chose to purchase because I, I use filtration a lot. And even a quarter glimmer glass is just adds a little something. You, you take it off yeah. and you're like, you know, that is, it is doing something. It oh, is doing no. something, you know? It definitely is. And it's like, that's just another tool in your belt from like, cause not every scene you're going to have all the time in the world to light. Not every scene you're going to get like, you know, a set ready makeup artist to like smooth everything out. And these filters do help bring things into more of that polished world. Like, and it's, it's a relatively very cost effective way to do it. Like, even if a filter is like three, 400 bucks, I'm like, yeah, but it's three to $400 for every shoot. Like that filter doesn't go away. Like you get to use that forever. Like that's not the rental fee per shoot. Like you own that. And like the technology is not changing. Like glimmer glass two years from now, isn't going to be out of date. Like if anything, like it'll age better and it'll somehow look cooler. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, like if you, if you think about it, pro mist and, and Hollywood black magic and, and, uh, Glimmer glass, it's, you know, these aren't new. They've been around for, for, for a couple of years already. You know, it's just, it just depends on, on, I, I guess your knowledge of it and, and where, where you typically work. But yeah, I mean, these things aren't going, going away, you know, and, and yeah. I think it, it adds so much uh, value. I, I think you're going to start to see the opposite where people are starting to design lenses that are marketed as like, we have this filtration built into the lens. I, I like, I can't imagine, like, I can't believe that hasn't come out yet. Like where, like, where someone's like, they have a version of a lens. Like if Sigma art was like, we have the Sigma art, but we also have like the Sigma art diffusion line. And it's like, like, yeah, like, cause there are people that are like, oh, I use it every time. Why not just cut out a layer of glass and have the manufacturer put it in there for me? Cause essentially what you're doing with like a lot of these diffusion filters is you're muddying up your image. You're trying to take the sting off to make it look like vintage glass. Like you're trying to make it look like aged wine like even though it was like freshly squeezed, like you're trying to go after this like like imperfect glass. And I, th I think that's what people forget a lot of times. They do these lens tests and they're like, well, it doesn't look completely sharp, wide open. And it's like, yeah, but it's not supposed to be completely sharp, wide open. Like you're looking 
for those imperfections. Like if you don't like imperfections, you're going to hate anamorphic glass because that whole thing is just a crapshoot, like from edge to, they're like, where does it get like super sharp? And I'd be like, I'm going to be honest with these lenses. They don't get super sharp at any aperture, but like, that's part of the, like, that's why we're using them today. Cause we're putting the viewer in this world that their eyes don't natively take them to. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, 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 uh, that ownership of, of the creativity when cinematography, which is, which is one thing that I love about it is you could have so many different projects and each one can look like its own its own uh, realm or its own world or its own story, depending on the mood, the lighting, the movement, the lack of movement, the filtration, the the lenses. You know, maybe you want to use old Canon FDs or or some some like a R's, you know. Um, but you have that. We have that um, that, uh, that that in our tool belt to use, whether we want to make that choice or not make that choice. No, it it. It, it seems like a lot of responsibility, but like a lot of these decisions where you're picking lenses, picking filtration, that's like the first step. And then once I'm like, once I find set is rolling, like my mind doesn't go to like a tech space. Like it's very much like you flip gears and you're like, all right, we've decided on the lenses. We've decided on filtration. I don't want to talk about it again for the rest of the day. Now I want to like just make the thing and like get create. Like I'll know where my lenses are the sharpest, like at which, which aperture. And then I'm the first person on set to like break that rule. Like I'll be like, these are the best at a two eight. And then I'll get to my first scene. And I'm like, open up to a two. We just like, we just open it up. It's going to look better at a two. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. Cause yeah, I, I for, for me, I've, I've, I've been a lot of a, of, um, of a car guy for, for so many years. And I used to take my car to the track a lot. I have a separate car for that. And not anymore just because of, you know, COVID nothing's open, <laughs> but I, I feel it's the same way where it's like you spend so much time, um, because it's fun for you, right. To like look out certain parts and how does this part, uh, compare in performance to this part and how will this affect, you know, my, my track and how this affect my tires. And then you get to the track and all that just goes out the door and you're just, yeah. you're just on the road, you know, and same no, thing when I, you're, but I think it's important to know all that tech stuff so that you can throw it out when you know that you don't need it. Like, like knowing it and not using it is more valuable than not knowing it at all. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, it gives it gives you more power to use, you know, where like you're you're confident in what's going to in what can happen and what image you can be creating and then when you're on set when things are rolling you're just like, you know what? Like it's good. You know, this looks good or maybe maybe we stop down, maybe we open up a little bit, maybe we change this light a little bit and you have you cuz you already know what the tools can do and that yeah. we can work, you can work faster, you know. No, it's kind of like and that's why like I find in cinematography, people always look for like these finite answers. They're like, so like you always shoot into the shadow side of the face. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Until I don't. And then I don't that time. And they're like, well, why didn't you on this shot? And I'm like, well, the background was pretty low. And I just like, like, I thought that this made the image pop a bit more. And they're like, but you broke your rule. And you're like, knowing the rules are just there to like help guide you. But like, you are there to make the final call on like, like what is being put through the camera and you just kind of know in that moment what feels right and that's kind of the unteachable part like it's where you got to find your own rhythms find your own voice find the thing that like makes you happy in an image yeah absolutely man absolutely uh well yeah i just have like just just two um lasting questions just because i had more but i'm like well <clears throat> i'm pretty sure nick's got other things to do and you know a five hour zoom call um but uh is there is 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 there is there a piece of advice that you would give to your, your younger self like now that you've you know been 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 a cinematographer and a dp for 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 working um is there is there one or you know two things you might tell yourself 
uh, early on that you wish you would now? Uh, I, for me personally, I would have said get into it sooner. I would have loved to pick up a camera when I was in high school. I think that that like, I think I missed the boat there in some respect. Cause like, I was just so much older when I started this, like, I feel like my career could have been much different or worse. Like maybe I would have become jaded if I picked up a camera and like, since I lived a whole life, like this all seems like a playground to me. Cause I'm like, no, the real world sucks guys. Like we're making images for money. Like this is as good as it gets. Um, but like realistic information to pass on to someone, I would say every single shoot, bring all your shots into resolve and grade them. And like, don't just pick the stills that you're like, I know this one's going to look good. Like grade every single shot and like sort through the bad ones, like cringe a little bit at like what you didn't do good and tell yourself like why you didn't do good on this one. Like, was it something that production forced your hand and they made you shoot from that angle? Was it that you didn't have time to light, but like figure out like in every shot, what you would have done differently to make it better. Cause then the next time you're on production, you can either avoid the problem or voice your problem to production. And if they shoot you down and they're like, no, we just got to film from this angle right now. You're like, okay, that's fine. I've told you my recommendations on how to make this best. You chose not to follow that today, but like, at least in my brain, I knew the plan and we could have followed it. So, um, if you're a young DP, get all the footage from a shoot, bring it onto your computer, sort through the good, sort through the bad, figure out what you would have done differently. And over time, what you want to see is that your good shots are now taking up more of your timeline and resolve and your bad shots are getting smaller to the point where like you'll do an ad and you're like, oh, like 90% of my shots feel like they were captured in camera and they had the right mood. And you just keep shrinking down those shots that you're not happy with. But I, I think too many DPs right now is like they do a shoot and they're like, I really like these three shots. I'm going to grade them up. Those are the stills I'm going with. And they don't look at the bad stuff. And it's like, you're going to learn way more from what you did wrong than what you did right every single time. Yeah, absolutely. Sound advice, man. Uh, then Nick, where, where can people uh, find you, your work um, and, 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 and uh, Instagram, your website? Uh, yeah. So Instagram is Nick Pilecki and it's N-I-K. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes or something, but N-I-K-P-I-L-E-C-K-I. And I post lighting setups of my janky world and people seem to gleam something from them. Uh, and then uh, same name on Vimeo and uh, website is nickpalecki.com too. So yeah, you can check out stuff there. Yeah, man. Well, hey, I appreciate your janky world because it's, it's, it's helping <laughs> out a lot of us, you know, like you look at it and, it and it looks just so, it just looks so good, you know, like there's there's so many different adjectives i guess you could you could you could use for your work but i mean it just looks good i look at it and it's like that's the work that i think a, a lot of us are aiming to do you know 100 percent of the time you know um there's obviously stuff that even, even for, for my i don't show everything just because there's certain stuff where you're just like eh. there's just you know if it's if it's like a small budget branded doc that's just like yeah it just it was work you well, know it's not even that like uh Cause I think a lot of us play in a similar space for me. Like I don't post anything cause like a lot of it is like, it feels like I like sometimes have done it before or it's not like a better version of the thing I've posted. So like that just mitigates me from posting all the work I do. It isn't cause I'm not necessarily proud of it. I'm just like, well, I've already posted a version of this. So I don't want to like, I don't want to 
just post the same thing over and over again. Like if I'm posting something, it's going to be something in a new space or I feel like I've tried something different. Right. Yeah. You're giving like new perspective, you know, a new, a new, a new version or new process of, of something that, that you feel could bring, uh, at least, at least to me, it's like you could bring value to someone who, you know, maybe, maybe there's someone like me where, you know, you'll spend a week just analyzing someone's, um, you know, I'll go on like shot deck if I'm doing like a pre-pro and I just spend a week, I'm just looking at two or three images and I'm trying to like dissect, like, how could I implement some of those, some of the, maybe not all of them, uh, but at least some of like the techniques or the, or their framework into what I got going on a week from now, you know? Um, and, and I think it, it's, you, you see, uh, if you're looking at the same thing over and over again, sometimes it, it can, it can be a little bit dull, um, at least as far as like how you can improve upon it. But if you see something new, um, a new lighting scheme or, or maybe something you haven't done before, you're like, Oh, cool. Like how did, how did Nick do that? And then, and then it's that, that ongoing love, I, love the process, you know? I, yeah. And I'm always blown away by like cinematographers that like, don't do things like similar to me. Like I remember I was watching uh Midsummer, like that horror movie, and it was like it could not been more bright, front lit, like and I was just amazed. I was like this looks and feels great and I wouldn't have shot any of this. Like <laughs> I would have not made one choice that this guy made and I'm like but it still works and it just shows you that like there isn't one right way to like film a scene there isn't one right way to cover a scene like like work with a director like find how you like to do things and like over time people will find that value too they'll be they'll be like oh i love how like david covers this like i just love the way he like jams on this and we get this like coverage and it looks like this and the final product just like pops because that's going to be your own voice and that's a sellable thing that's like something that like no one can like rent the same gear as you because it's your voice they can't rent that that's like that's yours and that'll be yours forever yeah 100 percent, man 100 percent uh, well, hey Nick, man, I appreciate the uh, the time. I appreciate the the, the energy and and on all the information that, that you've um, provided. You know, I think a lot of people can can take um, a lot from this. You know, and hopefully, again, just kind of push themselves, uh, keep raising the bar, uh, so so to speak. You know, uh, so I mean, officially, I'll I'll cut this off and all that kind of stuff, and, and I'll I'll edit it. I'll make I'll make it look nice. But but yeah, man, yeah, I just wanted to, to say again, just I just really appreciate um, everything that that you're putting out there on Instagram. So I really feel like even for me, it's something where I see something and 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 it's it's further inspiring me to again keep raising the bar and keep raising the bar and and finding new ways to go about my lighting or new ways to um, to to go about my composition. You know, we're always trying to make make things. Uh, better in a way so yeah man i just want to say thanks man well thanks for having me i like i love talking shop and stuff because definitely like i never feel like i was supposed to be in this industry like i had a whole other life so every day i'm here i'm like it feels like bonus time where someone's like so what happens if like film ended tomorrow i'll be like oh i'd be super bummed out but like i feel like i was never supposed to be here anyways so <laughs> like i'm just living on borrow time and i think that's why like i'm not afraid to like like, cause a lot of the jobs are like, they're pretty similar to like what a lot of us are shooting. Like it's like doc stuff. It's, you know, like smaller budgeted commercial stuff for like law offices, hospitals. Like it, it's just the fact that like a lot of times there's not enough money to make those things great. And I'm like, 
I just swing for it every time. Cause I'm like, I got nothing to lose here. Like, let's just, let's just make it great. Like, and they're like, but we don't have enough time or the money. I'm like, don't worry about that. Like, let's just like put in a couple extra hours and make it great. Like, that's like, that's how we'll level up is like put in extra time that like we should have never been afforded. Woo. What a doozy. That was a long one, uh, longer than, than usual ones. But again, interviews, you know, if anyone had shot an interview, you know, it's going to be long. It's going to be an hour or so, um, regardless of, of whatever kind of interview it is. Uh, they're just long because there's a lot to cover. But if there's a takeaway for this, um, I, I think it's uh, at least the one for me. It's it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. Um, if you have a passion for something, if you have a passion for photography, for cinematography, for filmmaking, um, video production, social media, marketing, content creation, all that kind of jumbled into one space. If you have a passion for it, it doesn't matter where you are in life, but you can always uh, get started is the most important thing. You know, um, don't allow people to uh, shape your reality. Don't let people's opinion um, to dictate what you uh, what you can do, what you can't do. Um, you know, you just got to follow your heart, follow your passion and um, allow your passion to grow exponentially um, through the uh, through the creative realm. You know, um, so hope you guys enjoyed uh, this episode. Definitely trying to get more cinematographers and, and DPs and directors and producers on the show um, uh, at around like, you know, my my level or, or a little bit higher just to kind of get a, a more breath um, for the podcast. And and again, ultimately, the the goal is to bring you guys value. And, and what I mean by that is to let it, uh, let it inspire you to keep going with what you're doing. Um, maybe you pick up some tips and tricks that can help you um, with better techniques or maybe uh, better um, business language, better business communication, business development. Maybe it's starting a YouTube channel and trying to figure out how to navigate that. Maybe you're trying to start a online course. And through the podcast, maybe you're learning, again, little tips and tricks on how you can go about that, how you can navigate that, how you can grow that. And, uh, and just to get started, uh, in the whole realm of the whole spectrum of, of all this, right? Cool. That does it for me. Uh, I will see you guys in the next episode.